0: Hello and welcome to the Subnormal Podcast. My name is Lauren and this is a podcast where I interview artists with spiritual practices because what inspires us artistically is also what feeds us spiritually and sometimes the other way around. Today I have for you a conversation with an artist named Christina. Christina's art is reminiscent of the old master's works, while encapsulating so much of the fire and beauty and alchemy of her life, with a lot, if not a little, whimsy mixed in there. Christina's paintings capture so much light and vibrancy, and a lot of that has to do with the technique that she uses, the Miche technique, which I will tell you right now is a technique that, as someone who went to art school, I'd never heard of some of these techniques. It was really fascinating to learn how they work and what the different types of paint do together um, to create that luminous, rich, vibrant color within her work. Her paintings are surreal, cosmic, and really, honestly, they feel like they belong in a church. (laughs) Even the surreal ones, they have that feeling. And again, it comes back to that beautiful technique that she uses. Highly, highly recommend you check out her work. Of course, you can always find links in the show notes. Instagram is Christina underscore lazar underscore art christina is spelled with a z just a heads up um but definitely pause this go look at it because it is so intricate the work that she does there's so many details and layers and crispness of lines and what's really beautiful is not only is she using such a great technique but she's also a very Eager teacher. So, links to all things, of course. She's teaching a workshop coming up in the Bay Area. That is where she lives. So, if you are in that zone, make sure you make your way. It's taking place in the Berkeley area specifically. So, like I said, check it out. If you want to learn more about the Miche technique, the technique that she uses, if I was not on the East Coast, I would really be uh, called to check it out because it's just really fascinating, and I really love how it utilizes layers and colors to create these shades and rich, just the richness within the painting. So if you are on that side of the world, if you're in the Berkeley area, check it out. Of course, links uh, in the show notes where you can also find her on YouTube, where she also shares her work. So definitely recommend checking that out. This conversation, we talk about so much. Her journey with birth and how she captured that transition into motherhood through painting. Her journey with her spiritual self her spiritual beliefs and the transformative experience of the dark night of the soul i certainly resonated with that i think a lot of us spiritual folks might as well if you are listening and you are are going through it this is certainly an episode for you but with that said a little bit of housekeeping before we dive in As always, this podcast is brought to you by my lovely patrons over on Patreon. If you would like to become a patron and support the podcast, it would be so much appreciated. There's also all sorts of content on there um, that's now public. If you would like to look for some creative prompts some videos on art as ritual and how to use that as a form of self-care and just being with you with your art supplies check that out but there are other ways to support this podcast and those are super uh appreciated as well including but not limited to share this episode with a friend a family member someone you love or lust after um And of course, just following the podcast, let's Spotify or whatever out, whatever you're listening through. No judgment. We're not Spotify heavy. We love all platforms. Um, but yeah, if you just kind of like the episodes, engage with the episodes, um, or just follow the podcast, that just helps the algorithms know that you enjoy what you're listening to and it will recommend it to other people who might like it as well and that's really cool and you're really cool for being here um but with that said thank you so much for being here i hope this fall season if you're listening to this as it comes out treats you well that you are enjoying yourself getting ready for some cooler weather And enjoy this lovely episode with a nice cup of tea, if you can. Um, And with that said, long intro over,
1: let's just dive right in. I'm working on a... It's turning into a body of work I'm calling motherhood as metal.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Um. I uh recently 10 and a half months ago had a baby mm-hmm. and um it's it's just been uh unbelievably profound and uh wonderful and um you know just just a complete alchemical process of of dissolution and uh then you know rebuilding from from you know, ultimate cosmic primordial goo. So, mm. I uh, I've started a, a bunch of paintings. I have mm. I have several in mind, and I've done several. Um, and each one, uh, each one has something to do with just you know. I I often paint my experience, even if it doesn't look like it from the outside. There's something in the painting that is just kind of what's going on with me in the moment, and so. Mm. Um this is really what's going on with me in the moment just yeah. being a mom. And there's um I want to just show some of the you know larger than life in a way moments and aspects of it that that are part of my experience. So um and I say it's metal you know when I'm thinking of metal I think of metal album covers. Um, and Mm. I think of, you know, my, you know, favorite artists like Julie Bell and Boris Vallejo, um, you know, that, that kind of, uh, 80s, um, metal album cover.
0: (laughs) Mm, I love
1: that. (laughs) You know, that kind of fantasy art. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I, I find my little child just an unending source of inspiration
0: Mm. I love
1: drawing him and painting him and you know just um you know just feeling kind of in awe of of the insanity and chaos and beauty that is you know yeah (laughs) right so so those are those are kind of the things I'm working on so currently the piece I'm I'm um uh in the almost finished stages of getting there like I see Mm -hmm. the end in sight which is kind of a beautiful thing um is uh cherubim so I also am a huge fan of biblically correct angels yes (laughs) and uh cherubs are uh as we know them as we think of them if I say cherub generally speaking everybody thinks of like a fat happy baby and Um, so that was that's a tradition that was started in the Renaissance, um, and the cherubim of the Bible actually is a four-headed beast uh, creature with one human head, a bull head, a uh, eagle head, and a lion head, and they have multiple wings, um, and they are uh, they if I'm not mistaken, they, uh, carry the throne of God. So, mm. uh, they are pre- a force to be reckoned with. So this is, this is kind of a combination of all of those ideas where I'm, where I'm featuring my fat, chubby, adorable baby with four heads, um, of a, a baby cow, um, mm. a baby eagle and a baby lion. And, um, so the background is all very, uh, metal album cover esque, and he's got chrome uh, wings with eyeballs. So it's it's quite a quite a thing, and it's it's now life size. At the time when he i i started it, it was larger than life. And now
0: he's yeah. kind of the same size. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool! Yeah, I love hearing how artists use their children as inspiration and especially babies because that is such a moment of their existence like they will never be so small and squishy and so to really encapsulate that with your art sounds like such a therapeutic but also what a beautiful experience as an adult to look back and go my mom painted that I was a
1: little metal baby (laughs) Yeah, totally. I and you're so right. It it goes by so fast. It's already going by so fast mm-hmm. and so it it's uh you know, I can take a million photos on my phone um but there's just something kind of about the passage of time when you're making a painting and all of the moments that are around that painting mm-hmm. um are kept in record of the piece, you know, And so I think that's such an interesting way of of uh, almost creating like a time capsule yeah. of these moments. And yeah, I, I you know, you never know, but my hope is definitely that like as an adult, <laughs> it's like my crazy mother did all these things. That's yes. Like, you know, that would be my that's my goal. <laughs> Mhm. <laughs> and also I think you know I, there's there's I don't know how to say this but it, you know there's just their life is so busy you know and and we can get so caught up in stuff and I find um when I'm looking at art and when I'm looking at other people's work uh I love seeing kind of what you know there's there's people that do kind of thematic things Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really love kind of seeing what people are experiencing through their art too. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, such a, a great a great way of of getting uh getting bits of who the artist is in their work. And and for me, you know, my my work is kind of um my life journal. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so <laughs> there's always stuff in there. And it's uh yeah, I just I hope. I would like to inspire other people to you know have have that kind of transparency in one way to um through their work, especially about motherhood. Motherhood is just an in, just such a such a um life changing uh, shamanic journey, <laughs> yeah but <laughs> that, sure. that that's what that's the perspective I hope to bring to the table. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I definitely I I feel that and I think also going back to look at your work and seeing the way that you process the way that you create your work there's a lot of layers and I feel like when we use many layers in painting too that really helps us kind of connect to that alchemic and like magic mm-hmm. of painting because it's mm-hmm. all just that transparent versus the opaque and how it combines to create something. I think I was, I saw, did you share, um, a in process shot? Cause I was looking at your Instagram and did notice a very happy fat baby on there. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. I love, uh, Instagram, social media is such an odd thing, right? You know, I, I was just, Reflecting and a friend posted something that uh said something to the effect of um in the past, artists used to retreat into their studio and, and no one would see them for X amount of time while they were you know incubating and working on new work. And mm-hmm. and these days we, you know, are encouraged by life and external factors to share mm-hmm. all of these intimate uh, moments of incubation constantly. And so that's, that's a weird push and pull, right. But at the same time, I think there's so much benefit to be, to be, uh, gleaned by sharing those, not only sharing, but also seeing other people's work in progress. You know, it's just such an interesting way to, um, really appreciate someone's work, but also learn, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a, a really cool way of sharing learning process too. So I, I share works in progress all the time and I, I try to do, um, cause I teach also. So I try right. to do a lot of kind of free educational moments with the gram, mm-hmm. um, where people who are following can just, you know, get a glimpse into how, not only how it's made, but also if they would like to try it too, like, this is how you do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did just uh, put up, a work in progress, um, photo of, of one, one stage that I'm working on now. So just to, uh, if I'm, if I may just kind of explain like what we're talking about. Yeah. So I, I in the niche technique it's called niche is just German for mixed essentially. And so, um, it's a process of painting that combines several, uh, paint types and or mediums uh and so there's several different versions of it and uh many of us paint niche techniques uh I paint a particular style of it that I use oil and egg tempera Mm. and um I pretty much almost always I do break my own rules but but mostly I paint in um Uh, I've just started calling it the tri-color mish technique, because the underpainting goes through kind of a layer cake process of a red layer, yellow layer, and a blue layer before you ever start doing the local colors. And Mm -hmm. so I pretty much stick to those three. um, And... Then do my colors afterwards. So it's a, you start the painting off all red, like a brick red, Mm -hmm. and then you do a white layer of egg tempera on top of that. So that's, that's your main, uh, uh, how do I say Like, uh, getting your highlights, getting all your values, getting everything in there. The white is, you know, if you've ever seen like a Grisaille painting or a grayscale painting, right? It's just getting mm-hmm. all your values in there with the white and the red is the background. And then you do a yellow glaze over the whole thing. So it's yellow that you can see through, like a really beautiful Indian yellow, mm-hmm. for example. And then that harmonizes all the, all the, uh, you know, the different tones and everything. It starts creating something that really looks like something. So then you go back over it with the white egg tempera again, but you don't, you don't, um, you don't just redo everything you did. This is your layer where you're refining, you're honing, you're getting, making sure everything is correct in the painting, but you're also um, just being more careful with your application of white and uh, uh, the variety of different hues of that white that you're trying to build in. Mm-hmm. So then you do a blue glaze and the blue is like this really pale uh, white infused blue. So it's it's almost, um, you know, like like the sky on a cloudless day, like that mm-hmm. color blue. Mm-hmm. And so that really not only harmonizes everything, but it instantly creates all these, what we like to call optical grays. And all of those grays are the shadows, the variety of shadows that now you have, um, you know, basically just imported into your painting. So then you do one more layer of white and that white is really just kind of the, the highest of highlights. So you're not going through everything again. You're just really utilizing everything you've done up to this point and just putting kind of the icing on the cake, if you will. And then that's your underpainting. So you've just spent all this time doing the underpainting. But if you do it right, you've done all of the work. So now mm-hmm. you can go through, make a glaze of whatever color it is that you're you're working with, just put that on and and you've already got a whole range of highlights and shadows baked into the system. So you really then you put on your kind of medium glaze, you have a little bit of tweaking here and there and then mm-hmm. it's highlight and shadow time and painting is finished. So it's this really kind of unusual and interesting way of creating a piece, but it builds in these crazy rainbow, uh, shadows and, and lights and darks. And, um, I just find it compelling that even if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, um, I get something new out of it every single time.
0: I love that. That sounds like a really, really fun experience too, to see all of those layers. Yeah. I, I haven't. So as someone who has been in art school, I didn't know you could, mix tempera and oil i was always so fearful of mixing anything with oil right but it sounds like this i'm curious what's the positives of mixing uh tempera in there or how does tempera work to support your process rather than using a white
1: oil paint yeah no that's a great question so Oil paint uh is inherently just fatty and juicy and you know yummy on some level. Mm-hmm. And and the tempera um is crisp and and um like almost chalky, really. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a completely opposite texture, quality, uh essence than the oil paint. So it's because these things are so opposite that they they work so well together, and because the egg tempera has um, either you know if it's egg tempera it's got an egg in it you know mm-hmm. that's the fat. Um, there's also casein which is milk, so the there's something within that that still has kind of a very fatty substance, which is why you can combine the two. Oh. Um, and it's not like it's not like acrylic. You can't do acrylic and oil, right? Uh, per se. So um you can start with acrylic, but but once you put the oil on top, you can't go acrylic anymore. Mm-hmm. So and there's ways of combining that, but that's a whole other other, you know, can of worms so if you go acrylic oil casein or egg tempera. So right? That's, that's another version of a miche technique. Um but with this, it's really the fat and the lean, the fat and the lean. So that white, oh. you're only using the egg tempera as white. Yes. And so that crisp white you can't get that with just using oil paint oil white is a very different kind of white right mm-hmm. so so going in there with the almost chalky quality that egg temper can have um it's, it's very sculptural if if you see the painting in person or you know like I, it's hard to convey that in images and videos and stuff but you can kind right. of get a sense if you see it online but uh there's something just starkly contrasting about these two mediums that, when you put them together, there's a sculptural quality that builds one on top of the other, mm-hmm. and and as you're applying the white, you're getting more and more refined with each layer. So again, you're not just going over the same thing you did before. You're you're honing. It's like a pyramid, mm-hmm. you know, like you're you're building the base the big large base in the first layer then as you're refining you go more and more towards kind of that tippy top point um and that's mm-hmm. literally how you're applying the paint that makes
0: sense as soon as you said fat lean fat lean mm-hmm. i was like oh okay now that's making so much more sense in my brain because there is so much to that as far as like layering and i can make a lot of sense from what you're saying with the crispness the brightness Because there is, you know, oil paint automatically has a very luminous feel, that Mm -hmm. very, like you described, juicy feel. Um, But understanding tempera as more of the lean rather to complement that fat. That makes so much more sense to me in my own artist brain of like, oh, of course, that's how those two things can work together and even like play off of each other to amplify, especially for the highlights. So things don't become muddy or mixed around with that transparency or that, that uh, juiciness. Did you kind of hone in this technique yourself? Where did you learn this?
1: So I learned this technique from a visionary artist, Bridget Marlin. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of one of the matriarchs of the visionary art movement um, today. So, she, mm-hmm. And she learned it from uh, Ernst Fuchs, who is the one that really um, mm, discovered slash invented slash proliferated the Misch technique. Mm-hmm. And, um, so just a quick kind of background on that. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, I'm going to tell the version Bridget tells because I love it. It's not correct, but it's a great, it's a great story. And I, I, <laughs> I like talking about it. So when, when I went to study with Bridget, um, in the, uh, early 2000s, um, the, uh, story of how the mies technique came to be was told to me this way. hmm she said that uh, in the Renaissance, um, there was a Dutch artist uh, that became very famous for for his beautiful portraits, and everyone, every artist wanted to learn it. They just became, you know, renowned through Europe. And so he came to Italy uh, to do a bunch of portraits of nobles and and uh, you know dukes and duchesses and whatnot. And so an artist, a local Italian artist, posed as a duke invited uh, you know the artist to his villa and uh you know sat for the painting and at the appropriate moment there was a knock at the door and there was a very beautiful lady at the door and uh this one artist knew the dutch artist's proclivity for beautiful women and so at the key time this artist was distracted long enough that the Italian artist was able to look at the painting in progress, look at the mediums and everything that the artist was using, and you know, take from there what he needed to know to then replicate um, the the uh, technique. So mm-hmm. it, it was imported into Italy into in these nefarious ways. That is one hundred percent incorrect, and <laughs> oh. it doesn't matter. It's a great story, and that I'm gonna I'm gonna keep telling it. So. Mm-hmm. The myth. No one. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna just just keep that myth alive because mm-hmm. it's so good. And so that's where all of the kind of Italian Renaissance flourished with these um, beautiful paintings because because of this um, hilariously transgressive moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a kernel of truth in there that um, that during the Renaissance, the Dutch masters were using a combination of tempera with oil glazes. Mm. That's true. Um to some degree. So Ernst Fuchs, uh who was an incredible, incredible artist themselves. And if if anybody listening to this has no idea who he is, please stop this now and look him up. <laughs> Just do it. Come back to this later. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernst Fuchs uh, is is the granddaddy of, of of contemporary visionary art, right? And so Um, because of him, uh, anyway, I'll get to that. So Ernst Fuchs did a lot of research into, um, and I think by research, you know, just, just experimentation himself, right. Right. Into this idea of this combination of these two mediums. And, uh, you know, for him, the, the, the egg tempera is, uh, and that's what I think many of us call it. You paint with light. So the way you're you're working the image, whether it's a person or or a tomato, you know, whatever you're painting, or or an mm-hmm. angel, or, um, you know, you could or a dream, you can paint the image in the egg tempera with light, with the highlights, rather than how many people paint with dark lines, right? You get the dark paint, mm-hmm. you paint in all the shadows, and then you worry about the highlights later. This is the complete opposite of that, where you're painting with the highlights. So for for Fuchs. He wanted to create this kind of dream and, and visionary imagery out of the light rather than, than the shadows. Because if you think about it, like how do dreams often stay with us? How do visionary experience often stay with us? It's the scintillating, ethereal luminescence of these experiences that, mm. that is so hard to capture that the Mish technique is perfect for. So uh, Bridget Marlin learned was one of Ernst Fuchs's first students um and why is that she learned the technique in the 70s if I'm not mistaken from him and so as mm-hmm. one of his first students she was um and she has her own amazing story of how uh you know she was going through a really difficult time in her life she saw these paintings from Ernst Fuchs in a gallery and just knew she had to learn this this technique so she, haunted him down, would not take no for an answer and and was given you know the same similar kind of transmission basically. Um, and so the technique he taught her is the technique I paint in also. So mm-hmm. it's this, this three color version of the niche technique. And she has painted in that technique and still does to this day since then. So the funny thing though, is that because uh, Ernst Fuchs continued to experiment and continued to just try different things, mm-hmm. he changed that and stopped doing that three color technique and, and went on to do a variety of different ways of using the Misch technique. And mm-hmm. so other artists like Amanda Sage, um, Lawrence Carwana, uh, a bunch of other people learned from Fuchs at different times and have gotten different transmissions of how the Misch technique is to be done. Um, So that's kind of a fun, weird sort of thing that there's kind of almost these lineages (laughs) of how to do this technique. And uh, so the way they teach it is very different than, than this particular version. And so I um, found Bridget's artwork uh, through a series of kind of funny circumstances myself and wanted to study with her. And so I, um, stayed with Bridget in her home in England for uh, several weeks and it was kind of art monastery time. And she Mm. taught me the technique we painted together. And I, um, while I have studied and learned a variety of the different techniques myself, I continue to be enchanted by this one version, um, and try and, uh, I teach it also, as I've said, but also continue to, just get as much out of it as I possibly can with each painting because there's just something, something about it that just keeps me coming back.
0: Mm. I love hearing about how this lineage has continued to just wrap people up too, just as she sought out the teacher, you did as well and, and keeping that magic alive. And so it's really cool to also hear that the very person who helped formulate this also went down to, or went on rather to explore how color can impact that. Mm -hmm. And that, that study continuing to grow. I also think it's really beautiful to think about how this style has really fed your curiosity and your, your drive creatively and now being at this place where you are painting your your baby you're including all of this inspiration from medieval a very medieval place almost like this very ancient context i'm curious um as as you are are growing, as your child is growing, as your life is changing, where do you kind of see your inspiration going? Do you feel like your path of motherhood is going to keep feeding your creative essence? Because I also saw some pieces that you've done that were from your time of pregnancy. And so I'm curious, one, how that kind of impacted your work going from harboring to caring and what you kind of see coming up in the future?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, I can't help but paint what whatever's happening to me on some mm-hmm. level. So, um, I think there's probably always going to be an aspect of, of my life and of my family and of my, um, child in whatever I'm working on. Uh, mm-hmm. I have uh, a parrot, I have an African gray parrot. He he ends up in my artwork fairly regularly also. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, and has for many years. So I think, you know, I just, these are themes and things that that are just gonna be there, you know, in, in a variety yeah. of different ways. And I think, um, yeah, definitely uh, one theme that I have worked with for a very long time Decades at this point is alchemy. Uh, and so it, it feels very alchemical to have um be, been the vessel mm-hmm. and uh brought forth uh something new, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so that as kind of a personal transformation, a personal um shamanic journey, um, you know, is it, is definitely rife with a lot of meaning and symbolism there that I can kind of continue to work with. But but as a caregiver to a small, tiny human, (laughs) as they grow, Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that's so interesting is, is that, um, you know, as an exploration of my own individuation journey, um, in a, in a very union sense, um, as I I continue to grapple and grow and change with all the circumstances that uh, now this moment in life is bringing to me, and how I am uh, integrating and learning from and uh, utilizing these lessons um, as I kind of seek to. You know, be my own mandala, my own kind of wholeness, mm-hmm. uh, and seek to keep fortifying my own kind of wholeness. Um, there's things kind of I'm looking at in the in the future that are are um, very exciting. So, like I said, as I continue to work on kind of this motherhood is metal concept, there's several pieces I I have planned for that, but I'm um, kind of a longer longer working idea is i um i'm painting dakinis so tibetan uh slash indian goddesses Mm. that seem to uh encapsulate these moments so the one i finished that i started at the beginning of trying to get pregnant worked on while I was pregnant and then finished once I delivered, uh, is the green mm-hmm. Tara. And so all of those things are in that painting literally. Uh, and also just, as I was saying, kind of a record of those memories and moments, yeah. um, but also figuratively because the green Tara is pregnant in that piece. So she is the mother of compassion. Um, and with that compassion, uh, you know, can care for all of the living beings, no matter what their status um, mm-hmm. on the earth. And then when I'm going to start uh, very soon is a goddess called Simhamuka, and she is the lion-faced goddess. And so I she is um, kind of a ferocious aspect of, of enlightenment where she is mm-hmm. a fully enlightened female Buddha, um, but as a lion, you know, can uh, kind of both shows that ferocity, that like enlightened anger, if you will. And I find that as a mom, uh, I need to call on that aspect um, as a, you know, like think of like a mother bear, right? Yeah. Like there's nothing more ferocious in a way than, than a mom of something when mm-hmm. you're called on to protect and so there's something to that where I'm I'm really called to Simhamuka as an image as as something that I want to um, bring forth in kind of my own way of looking at it. So these that's something that's coming up in the future and, and thinking about artworks along those lines. So there's there's many ways that this kind of comes through and many through lines that I'm um, braiding and working with. Mm. Uh, so yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. I love also this this story of conception, pregnancy, and birth that is all encapsulated in one piece and what an incredible journey for that painting to have, to have been on every part of such an intense ride. And it just sounds like such a cool experience too, dreaming up, okay, now where is the next thing? and connecting with that very spiritual space of these deities and at this point i i want to kind of dig into what is your spiritual practice because as you mentioned alchemy that of course sounds just like your painting that fat and and lean that is very alchemical just in itself right but the very subjects are also so much of that transposing magic so i'm curious what is your spiritual practice
1: um, it's it's very <laughs> uh, yeah, it's varied for sure. it's very varied. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, it's hard to say if it's any one thing, but over the mm-hmm. years it's kind of become a conglomerate of things that make sense for me. So I uh did actually do quite a bit of meditation early on. um I was doing um Shambhala Shambala meditation, which is a Tibetan, kind of Western version of Tibetan um, meditation. Mm. And that was amazing for, for the many years that I did it. And then I kind of, uh, I would say, you know, potentially had like a dark night of the soul experience where like, all oh, of this is garbage, mm-hmm. like fuck all this. Sorry, my I- <laughs> Oh, you can curse. Yes. Okay. Let okay. it all out. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh you know so that was really important just kind of to to again like go through that that really intense um uh dissolution in order to rebuild something else so what what kind of mm-hmm. came was rebuilt out of that was an interest in western esotericism um witchcraft alchemy uh which happily happily stayed there that whole time mm-hmm. um and you know, uh, just fully, fully imbibing and um, inhabiting an animist worldview, mm. and all that goes along with that. But I, I think, like I always had that, and even as a little kid, I some someone somewhere said animus, animism is normative consciousness. You know, if you think of like little uh, kids and how they how they react to things, like our initial instinct is to think and act and interact with the world like everything is alive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I'm just gonna say because it is. You know, right? <laughs> that's true. We all yeah. we have to be um, told that that's not correct as we're growing up. And and the thing, you know, that's that is wrong. Um, you know how did how has that gotten us over the you know many many hundreds of years? Right. <laughs> Look at around us. We're we're not doing so good with that way of of thinking. But you know, so so that kind of dark night of the soul experience really was about questioning all of those assumptions, and and then you know once once those were questioned, they came back very strongly and with new conviction. So I mm. would say my spiritual view is is truly inhabiting that animism so that not only is the tree and the plants around me alive but my coffee cup my table my computer my paints everything is right and and the uh the consequences of looking at the world in that way really change how you interact with things Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that practice, I do still meditate. I do, um, you know, I like doing uh journey work. Um, I do spell work. I, I love tarot. I would definitely say tarot is a spiritual <laughs> practice, yes, as well as a divinatory practice. So, mm-hmm. those are kind of the things that that accents and um. Uh, inform that, but I would say the underlying way of looking at everything is, is that, uh, just general, beautiful, heartbreaking aliveness, everything has.
0: Mm. That's so just really beautiful to resonate with. And as you were sharing your story, which thank you for sharing, because I think a lot of people need to be reminded sometimes that spirituality is questioning everything, including, is it mm. all bullshit? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you don't question, is it all bullshit? You might, you know, how do you really know it's real to, yep. you, you got to poke through a little bit. And even the act of having that dark night of a, of the soul is such an alchemy experience because you yep. are really getting to brass tacks down to the very soul of, of what it means to be a spiritual person. And I love hearing from you how to, to take that aliveness that is everywhere and putting it even, you know, looking at just the art itself, the paints as that as well. Has that changed your relationship with art? How are, and if it has, has that maybe changed what you paint or or how you work with your paints? I'm curious. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think uh, a part of that dark night of the soul process was also questioning my artwork and the very mm. making of art. It was everything. It was it yeah. was a, a all all inclusive, <laughs> utter dissolution, questioning uh, time. Oh, yeah. Several years, in fact. So it was. Um, At the time, and going through it, i I didn't know if uh, you know, I mean, after after exhaustively explaining my my painting process, I think it's it's fair to say that these each painting takes a very long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you have to really commit to painting. Uh, When you go down any, any journey with a canvas, like it's, if I want to finish something, it's going to be a while before it's done. And I know that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So, so questioning, uh, is this something I want to commit to was a huge part of that process Mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the belief, the belief of needing to finish something has to be there from the beginning. You can't just, you know, I mean sure plenty plenty of us start things and don't finish them that's fair. Right. But like you have to at least go into a painting with with having some some idea that this is going to be done one day.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and and I think even even at the time uh you know going through that experience questioning that belief of is this worthy of being finished one day, you know. Um how much fucks do I give about this piece that I will continue to work on it through Mm -hmm. the very labor-intensive process that it needs to go through in order to be finished? Mm -hmm. And I I kept, there were very few things that made it through that inquiry process during those years. Um, And they were very odd, I mean, wonderfully odd, but very odd paintings. If you look at kind of everything I've done in my lifetime, this is... (laughs) very strange kind of uh collection of paintings that i dearly love but mm-hmm. they they you know just the weird needed to come out and and the weird made it through um but it was it was helpful to answer your question to um to really again just question question that process question my commitment question my um uh uh you know full full belief structure in how this image does this image need to be alive, you know? Mm. And so, uh, it really, you know, coming into that now, um, coming through that process and coming into that now and, and reapplying, you know, all of these things that I kind of knew to be true, for as long as I can remember, you know, now with kind of a new lens and a new, um, more resolute way of thinking about it. I think, yes, it really, um, there's an editing process potentially that that kind of happens um, where I still kind of question which which of these images is, is the one that needs to be the one I commit to. Um, but I think because of that, I'm more committed to its aliveness and bringing it to f- term, Yeah. <laughs> <if> you will. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, and it's interesting, and I definitely do feel. I, I was going to say this earlier too, as you were talking. There is something very um, uh, uh, synchronous about the birthing process, the actual, you know, a physical birthing process and also like, bring, you know, make painting a painting. It's very similar in a lot of ways. You yeah. go through a lot of very similar um, symptoms even, you know, like mm-hmm. there's <laughs> there's kind of a first very excited stage. And then, you know, like, like a first trimester, there's always that difficulty. And, you know, you first get going, and you're like, this is amazing, I love it, you know, and mm-hmm. then you get going and you're nauseous and you hate it and this is awful. <laughs> You know, and it's very true. And then there's kind of another glorious moment where you're like, oh, I'm a genius. This is amazing. I feel incredible. I'm just painting away. And then before it's done, there's a there's a whole kind of, oh my God, can this just be over already? You know, I can't bear to do this anymore. And then lo and behold, you're almost done. And, and then you are finished, you know? So these things are very similar. Uh, <laughs> and truly like birthing a painting. And then you have like a postpartum period afterwards where it's you know the the joy of creating and having that you know like live in you um as an artistic uh uh thing is so powerful that when you're finished with a painting it's kind of like meh you know yeah. now what now what do I do yeah um, so it's uh yeah and so really like as as they are as they are these kind of uh, living beings that go into the world. I I am very much in the, like, once it's done, it's done kind of move. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not someone that goes back and keeps working on stuff. Like once it's finished, it's finished. And right. it, it will take a lot for me to ever go back and fix anything on a painting. Like I just won't do it because it's it's done, you know, it's got to go right. live its own life.
0: Uh- <laughs> so, I yeah, love I, I love the analogy so much because as soon as you said, uh, I'm sick of it or uh, the morning sickness, I was like, (laughs) Oh yes. The anxiety of what am I doing? Is this going to be okay? Like, you know, all of those like butterflies were, or like, Oh, did I, did I mess this up or, Oh, can I fix this? Like that can possibly come up. It's so powerful to see that, you know, that connection as well, in a very human experience that is, that is creating a life. It's, it's, it's beautiful to hear.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just to also not diminish the, the creative process in that way too, that it is, it is similar and it is very hard sometimes to get through some of those stages and to keep, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the end goal and working towards that, uh, even through those difficulty and through the butterflies and through the, you know, because sometimes I mean, let's be real. Like sometimes, like painting is just painful. You're just, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. every brush stroke is is a, you know, element of torture. It can just, <laughs> it can just feel like you're never gonna make it, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that uh, it, it's, it's funny to make that connection, but it's also really true. I feel like every person that I've known who has ever been pregnant, they are loving it one minute. And then the next, they're like, please, please just let it be done. I just want to be yeah. done. <laughs> I want yeah. to have my own space or like not hurt anymore. And it's, it's powerful to see those connections because there, there was a, t- a phrase that you've said that really stuck with me and that is like is this worth carrying through and Mm -hmm. I think it's it's powerful in saying that because I know myself included so many artists we might begin something whether that's intuitively or planned out but we either lose the fire or we lose um sight of what the end looks like and that's kind of where the magic of creative trust falls in as as you just kind of continue to work even through the the painful bits it's it's you know very interesting
1: yeah so true and i mean you know let's be real like it's very good to to experiment and try new things and not everything mm-hmm you know and nor should it be not everything is a masterpiece and it doesn't need to be that's not the point the point you know like mm-hmm. it's exactly how you're saying sometimes there's a fire that that is lit uh when you begin something and but there's you know in, in alchemy um there's this really interesting uh notion of the the athanor is the alchemist's oven and so so much of of alchemical ink has been written about about getting the fire to the right heat uh, mm. in order for the process to to keep going. So while there's always like, you know, you wouldn't start it if there wasn't like a spark. Right. Right. But there is something to be said about keeping that fire the right heat to sustain and keep going. And and, you know, the the adjustments that you need to make. It's not the same fire all the way through. Like sometimes, right. you know, you can have it turned up and you're really ready to go. Other times it just needs to be lit to to keep coming back to the canvas, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it's about kind of tending that internal fire to uh, keep the work going.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love... You have great analogies. I love how you're like, I just visualize (laughs) it as you're speaking it. And so I would love for you to share with those listening, since you are a teacher, you do share your wisdom quite a bit. And you have in this conversation, um, what would be your advice to artists who are, are trying to find that fire or temper their fire or, or kind of stick with a project to its completion. Hmm.
1: <laughs> I oh, yeah. So hmm. there's a balance of listening to yourself hmm. and uh, how do I say this in the right way? There's a balance between listening to yourself and knowing when to nudge. Mm. Because sometimes the self says, "No, no, I don't want to do that. you know and and but there's this there's a voice there that may not be accurate you know <laughs> mm-hmm. or or is potentially accurate to how you're feeling at that time but it's not the right one you know the 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 real one it needs to just kind of come in and say yeah and uh that it's <laughs> just like a funny way it's very mm-hmm. complex right? because one must always just be in, you know, listen to that inner voice and really like heed that in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Um, but every once in a while, there's another voice masquerading in there that pr- tries to be your inner voice, but is is actually just, um, you know, maybe, maybe uh, indulging a little too much. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the voice that seemingly seems like the in- inner voice, um, it's being honest with oneself and and you know pushing maybe a little too strong <laughs> nudging i like nudging right you know just a gentle nudge back in the right direction um is is sometimes what it takes you know and and we can all get stuck in ruts right creative ruts are real and how do you know you know because like, as I said earlier, like the, the dark night of the soul was several years of what I would consider a giant creative. I mean, I was being creative, but it was still, it was a, it was a rut in its own way. Right. Right. And, and try as I might like nudging, nudging just wasn't going to get me out of that. Like I had to just sit in it and stew and get out of what, get out of it, what I needed to get out of. There was no, Mm -hmm. no getting out of that, that, um, you know, bog, that I was. (laughs) You couldn't bypass it. No. You had to go through it. had to go through it. And so that is, that is part of it too, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not, it's listening and knowing whether or not you need that nudge or whether or not you really just have to wallow in this for a little while and, and get out of it what you need to get out of, you know, when nudging, isn't going to work um, sometimes you really just need to let go into dissolving and seeing what happens next. So I would say, you know, it's tending a fire. it's a it's the tending that mm-hmm. is that is the key word there because attending to something is is constantly attuning, paying attention, being there, um, for all of those flickers and, and changes that may may be happening, and if you're really attending to what's happening with your creativity, then um, you can be right with it as you're going through these various things, and and it should bring you back to whatever you need to be doing at the moment. That is the truest, truest to your real. Uh, needs and your real self. Mm.
0: I love it. That's, that's beautiful. And I think, you know, relating it back to your dark night of the soul. I think as artists, we all on some level experience that with our creativity, whether that is multiple reasons, either spiritual or just ability to access our own creativity because of other Needs, and it is really important to just remember how to to feed oneself. And I love thinking back to what you said. You, it things needed to get strange. The strange just needed to come through. And <laughs> yeah. I think that's such great medicine too, because there's there's something to be said about sometimes tending to our fires means we're gonna make really fucking weird art but that's (laughs) That's part of the process. Exactly. Get weird. Get Get weird. weird. (laughs) If it helps get you through, get weird. Um, and so I think that's just really powerful, powerful reflection there. Um, and on that note, I would love for you to share where everyone can find you, um, connect with your work, any workshops where they can, get where people can get this knowledge directly from the source. Um, Yeah. Just connect with you more.
1: Um, A good place to go is, is Instagram. I feel like that's I'm using that as kind of my hub. So Mm -hmm. it's just my name, Christina underscore Lazar underscore art. Um, I know this will all be at the bottom and then, mm-hmm. uh, I will have workshop announcements. I will be doing a, um, in-person workshop in Berkeley at a, an amazing, uh, place called the Alembic, um, sometime early fall. Uh, so check the dates on the Instagram, um, for that. And I'm also, uh, on YouTube on with instructional videos on how to do Mish technique Um, I have a sub stack where I uh, explore writings and um, things for various books and tarot and other projects I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's all of that is, is kind of hubbed in the Instagram.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Christina. This has been such a beautiful conversation.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a joy and pleasure to be here with you.